You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 25 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. Leah and I are excited to be joined by Adam Gerhardt, an air safety investigator in the NTSB Office of Aviation Safety. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I have to say I'm a fan of the show. I oh, listen, good, listen, good. listen to at least a few episodes now. Thank you. I'll tell your friends if you I haven't will. already. <laughs> My colleagues, yes. Yeah. 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 yeah happy to have uh, and others on. Welcome back to our listeners. Um, just a quick housekeeping note. If uh, you pick up any banging in the background, it's because there is construction going on in our building. And uh, we just got to keep keep trucking on as we do with behind the scene. Um, Adam, as customary, as you've heard in the podcast that we've done in the past, we like to give all of our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves and kind of share a little bit about their background um, and their journey to the board. So as you're sharing, I'd love to hear more about kind of your education and how you learned about the board and then what ultimately brought you here. Absolutely. Um, so for me, aviation started pretty early on. Um, I've shared this story actually with the, with the chairman. The very first accident site that I was ever on, I was, um, I want to say about nine years old. Wow. And it, the, the, it was a commuter uh, turboprop that impacted the building right next to my parents' um, business. They owned a window company in Columbus, Ohio, where oh I grew gosh. up. Wow. And so um, for me, my exposure to that was playing ice hockey on the overflowing water um, from the uh, fire department um, <laughs> next door for the for the days and week afterwards. I had all that excess water. So Wow. Um, yeah, I was going to say that. I think that might even top the, uh, the chairman's own story about his kind of <laughs> Creeping on to a, 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 an accident scene when he was 16, I think, so, somewhere around those. I know he talks about it in his right. podcast, but did, he tell, you, did he tell you, like, yours might top his? <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to go that far. I don't know about it. It, is, it certainly may not top it, but um, for me, you know, I, I loved hockey as a kid. And mm-hmm. so that was, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, uh, this is interesting. And so, um, it, but, you know, from learning from my, my parents and the fact that their business was, um, used as a, uh, command center for the, the first responders. And it was in January, mm-hmm. hence the, the ice right? and, uh, just a place for, for the NTSB folks and, and the law enforcement personnel to stay warm sure. was, uh, something that now I I care about that's quite it. a bit that's in, in that's, what that's I do. That's a pretty amazing story. So you had you had investigators with the jackets kind of coming into your parents' business. I vaguely remember that. Uh-huh. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I, I know I was under 10. Um, but but yeah, that's uh, and, my, and my dad distinctly remembers a uh, kind of an unmarked uh, vehicle coming and <laughs> taking away the black box, very, you know, the, the mystique of all of that. Mm-hmm. So really um really interesting stuff to kind of know know as i as i got older but uh the the more uh the the fun part of aviation for me really started with remote control airplanes is it i think it does for a lot of a lot of uh pilots later on for me i was i started with a little plastic uh um you know it's small motorized uh airplane that was on a was on a string Hmm. And around in the circle, it went up and down. Pretty <laughs> sure. exciting. At least at the time, I <laughs> right. found it um, just just amazing. And event, I, eventually, I advanced into um, gas-powered remote control airplanes. Mm-hmm. And I had quite a few accidents of my own to investigate. <laughs> sure. As anyone who's flown um, small, small ro- remote control airplanes, you sure. know that that's going to be part of the deal. I had a family friend who was was always there to help rebuild things uh, for me because that was uh, I was more interested in just flying. I, I just wanted to fly them. wasn't so keenly uh, interested in how they were built and how were they designed and a lot of pilots are mm-hmm. interested in that but no sure. I just I just wanted to fly them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that's that really started as a kid and then in high school, um, I somehow convinced my parents that, I wanted to take flying lessons. And um, if you've talked to other pilots, this is actually not very unique. Mm-hmm, uh, right. A lot I was of us. I say it seems pretty common. High school seems to be 
kind of a time when it seems like everybody either starts to realize that they want to pursue a, a private sli- private license or um, but it seemed like quite a few of the investigators we've talked to have had a similar experience. As well as Vice Chairman Landsberg. We just heard from him uh, a few weeks ago. Okay. And he said that he got into his first flying lessons probably around the same age. And that's where, you know, when I kind of, you know, when you when you share that, oh, I started flying in high school. But if you really talk to pilots, uh, it's that's pretty standard. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so started flying in high school. Um, for me, my interests were really... Uh, I love basketball. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, actually flying, actually taking uh, lessons out of uh, Port Columbus, um, the, 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 the main airport where you had 737 Southwest uh, airplanes and MD-80s um, and whatnot. And then here I am in the two-seater Cessna 152. Um, but for me, it, it I, in, a, in a strange way, uh, so first off, I learned uh, firsthand about uh, wake turbulence uh, and sure. to avoid that yeah. early yeah. on in my right. flight training. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just you know, lining up behind a, uh, a Southwest airline jet sure. or something like that, you, you you know, you feel like, hey, I can I can be like those guys, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I think that really allowed me to see the the professional side of of flying and where I really wanted to take my career and my senior year I ended up uh, of high school basically it was a aviation um, university program that I that I really tailored my search to and so looked at a lot of the common schools out there of Purdue and Embry-Riddle University of North Dakota was ultimately where I went Mm -hmm. and although Ohio is obviously Midwest um, (laughs) someone from Ohio is still North Dakota for me. I was like, really? Really? North Dakota? <laughs> Canada? Is that? Um... Come on now. I'm from Minnesota. You got to okay. be kind of nice. <laughs> I know. So you yeah, understand. I absolutely understand. <laughs> yeah. The upper Midwest. Yes, the upper is, Midwest. That's the way I would refer to it. But after the um, the first visit up there, the, you know, the facilities were uh, absolutely amazing. And more importantly for me, it was just, just the... The first impression of, of the people that I interacted with um, were just the next four years that I spent there lined up perfectly with, mm-hmm. with what I first experienced. Sure. And so, um, so, so college, uh, mm-hmm. it was UND for me. Mm-hmm. I did the pilot, the pilot track, which basically you get a bachelor in science in commercial aviation. Um, very traditional career path for a lot of uh, airline pilots today. And for me, I think uh, having an experience in college that that wasn't just flight training, it was a well-rounded aviation degree, but, you know, it was really a Bachelor of Science, so it wasn't sure. just a technical um, training background. That, that was that. That was probably the most important thing for me. Was, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a solid aviation education, but I'm sure. also going to get something that's well-rounded, um, a traditional college experience as well. Mm-hmm. So um, being from Columbus football, um, the, the sure. Ohio State yeah. University, <laughs> um, obviously big, uh, big fan there. Sorry to all the, all the Michigan fans out there. Um, so while you were um, in uh, UND, how often were you going up in an airplane during the program? Was that, was that kind of part of it, or was it something that you just kind of did um, extracurricularly? It, it is at, it's built in. It's it's almost like a seamless part of the major. Okay. Okay. Which is which is really great because the the way I equate it is it, it's not a perfect analogy, not R, but uh, if you're a chemistry major mm-hmm. or something like that, you're going to have your labs built sure. in in the morning or afternoon, three times a week, maybe two times, maybe four times. Okay. And that's what it is uh, was, was for for me and the the pilot majors. And so instead of going into another building, mm-hmm. I would go out to the airport. And my flight instructor and I would would go flying, um, or like an amazing experience. I know, yeah, it, it is. And um, if the weather's bad, which in North Dakota, <laughs> you know, insert insert common joke here. <laughs> um, it, it's it's something we have. Uh, th- they, I say we, because mm-hmm. um, I eventually became a flight instructor. Um, tons of uh, flight simulators Mm -hmm. and so that was another keen advantage of going to a place that had um you know the the simulators built in where 
you know, you can land on that field uh, with sure. an engine fire, something that you're not going to do in the real airplane. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on, on, you know, at least more than once. Sure. So, right. Yeah. So when you graduated undergrad, how many flight hours did you graduate with? I want to say I probably had around 200 wow. or 250 uh, total hours. And okay. so you, um, I graduated with a commercial pilot's license and multi-engine ratings, instrument rating, and um, flight instructor, <clears throat> excuse me, a flight instructor certificate. Mm -hmm. And that last one there is really, that's really the key um, to, to launch your pilot career, your aviation career, really. Um, and so UND for me, I really, I always knew, you know, the airline pilot was a, a career track, obviously sure. a very mm -hmm. common one and something that I, I, I always knew I wanted to experience it, but mm -hmm. I never really headed in with the intention of, Hey, I want to be a, you know, a triple seven captain. Sure. Great. It, it just seemed more of a mirage to me. And, you know, back in, uh, I graduated in 2008. Um, and so you know, getting into aviation, you obviously had the, you know, tragedies of September 11th, and then you sure, had airline right. bankruptcies, mm -hmm. and then you had the financial crisis. And so the realities of aviation, mm -hmm. you know, for, for people who are close to my era of graduating, it, it was a different, you know, it's a different time than what we have today sure. of the, 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 the pilot shortage, particularly at the regional level. So um, that was where I was happy the what are my broad opportunities here? And the NTSB was always, it was never, and we have a lot of people uh, that I've met, you know, the colleagues of, um, I want to work at the NTSB. It's NTSB or bust. <laughs> and that's great, you know, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. some of us have, have made it here. Um, but for me, it, it never was quite that linear in the sense of, I'm going to go to UND, I'm going to fly for the airlines, and then I'm going to sure. go work at the NTSB mm -hmm. because there are <laughs> there are no guarantees and there are only about 50 or so of, of my colleagues. So right. um, that's something that I always say, you know, a common question at Oshkosh is, you know, how do I get a job at the NTSB? And mm -hmm. it, it's a great question. Um, and my answer is generally, you know, there are so many different ways to contribute to aviation safety outside of the safety sure. board and if you know if you eventually come and work for us and join the team outstanding mm -hmm. um, but it's something where don't 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 set yourself up for that uh you know right. ntsb or bust scenario because yeah. there's so many different amazing opportunities out there yeah yeah because we are i many people may not realize we are a relatively small agency there's 420 of us are somewhere around there right now. But like you said, there's only a small portion of that is um, the aviation safety field. And I, I was looking before we uh, <laughs> before we talked to you to see if we had it. I know we have some open positions here, but um, none of them, interestingly enough, are, are any aviation positions right now. But it is it's you know, it's maybe once or twice a year. I think probably we have opportunities, but they, right. there really aren't a large number of them. I unfortunately I think it just closed, but there are around this time in March or so um, internships mm -hmm. for right. for undergraduates out there. Yep. So um, USA Jobs, keep your eyes, you know, set up the filter for NTSB yeah. and <laughs> That's right. get the get the email. So again, not to imply that it's a it's you know it's a lost hope. You know, hey, right. I'm, I'm sitting here, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and that you know that's a nice opportunity for us to plug all of our social media channels um, <laughs> because we do post our uh, job postings on LinkedIn. We tweet them. We uh, sometimes share them. They're on Facebook. Yep, every, on yep, Facebook. everywhere we can. So um, yeah, always be on the lookout there. But I think unfortunately too, I think our summer internships mm -hmm. just closed. Uh, I think actually maybe this week or, or it early, was really late last recent. week. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um, but we have about 50 positions, I think, that we had, um, or we were accepting something like 50 applicants, I think. So there's quite a few opportunities in the summer for people that are interested in that. So graduated from UND, and then where did life take you? So interesting enough, again, it was, uh, it was 2008. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some things were going on in the, in the world outside of uh, North Dakota. So I had a lot of... Um, a lot of inter interviews set up in 2000, you know, I, I was a tour guide at UND, so I would, you know, speak with the chief pilot of this regional airline or mm -hmm. that regional airline. It was a great, it was a great job to, 
to be able to network in that sure. in that way and um lots of promises hey you can you know you're going to come right in you'll work you know you'll get hired fly the crj 200 or the saab 340 back in those days of the common airframe and um you know when i graduated there was furloughs <laughs> going mm -hmm. on so mm -hmm. pilots were going in the opposite direction sure. um, of what of what we wanted so you know it's i wouldn't change anything for the world because um uh, shortly after graduate i actually went to china with my wife, we ended up working at the Civil Aviation University of China, the CAUC. Wow. Um, UND has a very large, or they, at that time, they had a large contract with um, a few different Chinese airlines to do um, their uh, cadet pilot training program. Mm -hmm. So before these students actually arrived in North Dakota, they start at this university. And so near my graduation, I mentioned to some um, some, some leadership at the university. Hey, uh, have you ever heard of a flight instructor going to China and working over there and doing ground school? I never uh, wanted to fly over there. Um, it was something where it was ground school only. And so okay. I ended up uh, becoming one of the first flight instructors to ever go to China. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's and amazing. luckily for me, my wife uh, majored in international relations and Chinese. Oh, and, wow. so you guys are a perfect team to go over there. Yeah, because so I can order, you know, chicken or beef or green beans or another drink. But mm -hmm. uh, that was it for me for Chinese uh, language skills. But uh, she um, really guided us around everywhere. And um, it was uh, we actually got married three days before we uh, left for China. So well, that's quite um, the honeymoon that you yeah. took. Then. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. And that's what people say. Oh, a full year honeymoon. Yeah. Um, Probably wasn't like that. Huh? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. They, but they, you know, it was an amazing experience. The university treated us uh, just, just amazing. And I ended up um, uh, uh, teaching a ground school with about 300 um, cadets that eventually would make their way to to United States for flight training, and then they come back and mm -hmm. and boom, they're they're in the simulator for a seven thirty seven or you know something bigger. Sure. So. so some people may not be familiar with what ground school is. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and what I guess what is the difference? So did they have their own form of ground school, or is it kind of a requirement that you they would learn? kind of U.S. standards and that sort of thing before they could come over and fly planes here? I, I don't know, so I'm going to ask. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a great question. The So ground school is basically a, a process where things that you want to know on the ground rather than being behind a propeller, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, you're going 150 knots. That's where you're going to learn those basic aviation um, skills, knowledge, um, air traffic control phraseology, things sure. like that. When the, you know, when the air traffic controller says, you know, make a left base for runway three, four, mm -hmm. that's something that on the ground, you want to process what that terminology means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. Pretty Instead straight. of kind of figuring it out, kind of on the fly. No yeah. Pun when you're, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the fly. Very yeah. nice. Um, so that's something where, you know, a lot of the, um, when, when you're, when you are up there, trying not to fly by the seat of your pants right you're oh. learning yeah, yeah. You're, exactly <laughs> let's insert all of the puns yes. we can i love a good pun yeah <laughs> and for me i i one of the main advantages uh, was just simply speaking english to the the cadets moving through and just having them work on their um aviation language the mm -hmm. english because english is the um, you know, it's the international standard for, um, you know, if you're flying somewhere, it's going to be English, uh, most, mo most cases. Sure. Mm -hmm. So something that prep, prep the students so that, you know, they're, when they are in the United States, it's not a completely new exposure sure. to, you know, Am Americans, you know, their flight instructor. So it was a really, you know, I think unique opportunity for, for everyone involved to, to, have me over there for for one year mm -hmm, so sure. have you stayed connected at all with any of the cadets that you that you taught or have you interfaced yes. with them at all uh some i have and uh one recently had a layover at uh at dallas here outside of dc uh -huh. and it was amazing just to just to catch up and 
I, I want to say he was flying the triple seven now. Wow. So I was very jealous. You know, I was, <laughs> at that time I was flying a small regional jet and here he was flying a triple seven. So, but that's, that's the way it works. So that's really cool. So what made you pick regional? Cause you were a regional pilot. Right. In the midst of your, um, after, I think I would assume after, when you came back to the U.S. Right. So I had experience flight instructing. Uh, then I went, of course, went to China, came back, did a little more flight instruction, built built time up. I got hired around uh, my 1,500-hour mark. So that's, you know, that the, that's a, fl- a, a shifting scale of, you know, how many hours did you get hired with? And, mm. Oh, in my day, you had to have 4,000 hours. And, oh, well, back then you had to have 200 hours, you know, so it's... Uh, I was more on that, you know, the industry at that time wanted about a thousand to fifteen hundred hours, and this was before um, the, you know, the recent. Uh, well, it's not so recent anymore, but now you need fifteen hundred hours to fly in an airline environment, or or a thousand hours if you come from a uh, university environment or a military background. Mm-hmm. So, um, so pretty in line with those, um, you know, those experience levels and. I wanted to, um, I really wanted to fly a jet or a transport, you know, not just a jet, but a transport category airplane in a, in a crew environment. I mm-hmm. felt like that was something that UND just preps you for. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the professionalism behind it, um, that's something for me. I never approached flying really as a, as a hobby per se. Okay. I, I loved it, but it, it gave me more of a, a professional focus, sure. if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And something that really, you know, there, you know, just the, the image of an airline pilot or, or, you know, something like that where, Hey, this is what I want to aspire to. And Mm -hmm. I I know there's been comments on, on the math, you you know, you need to be good at math. And the answer (laughs) is no, let's reinforce, you know, enforce that. And another survey, um, here, you, you do not need to be uh, good at math. So, um, so it was amazing flying, um, everything, uh, you know, I was based in, uh, at DCA, just, just, uh, okay. it's a stone's throw from here and flying the river visual, just an amazing experience. But, um, I really looked a little more broader in my career and that's where, um, I was able to being in, being based in the Washington DC area, I was able to, um, network into a FAA, uh, human factors, uh, contract role okay. and started providing kind of a pilot, um, perspective for a lot of uh, FAA projects that were ongoing, uh, specifically with uh, not- notums, uh, notices to airmen, which mm-hmm. if you're a pilot out there, you know what I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. notums are essentially um, anything with like a map or a chart. If there's been a change to that chart, so for example, the runway's closed. Well, how does a pilot know about that? It, 6 a.m. in the morning because mm-hmm. the map is going to show a nice, you know, open runway. Well, that's what a notum does. A notum will say runway 16 uh, closed. So the point of that, though, is making sure the pilot can easily get that information and sure. can uh, can know that information at the right time. And I think, was that not kind of a big discussion of the recent San Francisco, San Francisco. Uh, investigation Correct. that we completed, right? That there was mm-hmm. yes. about kind of which one's making it easier, I guess, for pilots to decipher which ones you really should yes. be paying attention to or versus ones that, right. yeah, I don't know enough about it, but I remember that being a significant part mm-hmm. of the conversation right. around that investigation. I wasn't on that investigative team, but the uh, I believe we did have some safety recommendations come out of that. Um, related to this, so it's 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 been an it's been an issue for quite some years of trying to make uh, notums more uh, appealing on the human factor side. Sure. So you know the pilot can again easily interpret the information at the right time. You know having the right information at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that I I tried to add my expertise while working there and. Um, Concurrently, I was uh, pursuing a master's degree in human factors um, part-time mm-hmm. at uh, Embry-Riddle. They had a branch campus where I could take uh, courses o- uh, over at Andrews Air Force okay. Base oh, or wow, Joint Base Andrews. And so, interesting enough, uh, one of the professors over there was uh, uh, Gary Helmer, our chief of safety. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so... You know, getting, you know, uh, interacting with, uh, with, with Gary and learning more about the NTSB. Mm-hmm. 
And he was the one that sent me the email for an entry-level air safety investigator position. Oh, wow. And so um, that I said, really? Like, you know, because I've saved a few NTSB air safety investigator job postings in the past. Mm -hmm. And they were for, you know, our major investigations division and, you know, looking for someone that, you know, probably wasn't in their mid-20s with five (laughs) years of experience. (laughs) So I said, hey, I'm going to you know, I'm going to save this job posting and one day I'll be able to uh, apply and and I'll have these skills and that's what I'm going to do. But all of a sudden this entry level position comes open. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, this was in 2015 and Mm -hmm. I applied and a real person called me after applying for something on (laughs) USA Jobs. And, you know, at first when you hear, um, you know, hi, this is, uh, um, you know, the, the manager of the new division called me. He said, you know, I'm with the National Transportation Safety Board. And I went, you know, as a pilot, you go, oh, my gosh, am I in trouble? <laughs> that was, it couldn't possibly be related to the job posting. Mm. But, That's funny. Um, but, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. And and so I um, uh, was, I really loved the time I had working with uh, the, the colleagues over at the FAA and mm-hmm. made a seamless transition to the other part of Lanfant uh, Plaza here, right. just a few, uh, a block away or so. Mm-hmm. Right. So how long, so you, you joined the board, and how long would you say you were um, with the board before you went out on your first launch? It was about six days. Oh, my oh, gosh. wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I so had, did you even have your equipment yet to be able to go out, or were you borrowing from and people? <laughs> yes, our chief of safety would like to know. I had all of the protective equipment and um, all of the um, the jacket and hard hats that, sure. that we need for a launch. <laughs> but, and was that considered kind of a training launch, or was yes. that like you were, okay. So it, it was a, it really an observer at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Um and it was actually, uh, we, you know, we have the office that we're sitting in now, headquarters, but um, my office was actually going to be in Ashburn, Virginia, where our training center is mm-hmm. and where the eastern region um, is located where, where I work today. And it was within about one hour of meeting because I had uh, headquarters training. And so this was my first day at my actual office in Ashburn. Okay. And I had been in the office for about... Uh, maybe two hours, mm-hmm. maybe an hour and a half, and a call came in, and the you know the suburban was was getting ready to go, and he's actually my my boss today, mm-hmm. um, but he he was going to be the investigator in charge, and it was hey you guys uh, you know, I there was one other colleague that I was hired with you you guys want to go and sure mm-hmm. great you know this is uh, you know something you know so out the door we went and down to Norfolk uh, Virginia. We were um, out the door, so it, it didn't take long to um, to to get out the door, and that's that's usually the case here. Is yeah. um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but that's that's the case. Sure, and I think you know everybody obviously knows commercial aviation is relatively safe, but it's you all do a lot of general aviation um, accident investigations, and so I'm assuming that you, the first one that you went on was likely right. a, a smaller it, it was it was a general mm-hmm. aviation accident and that is primarily what what we investigate in in the regions and uh, charter uh, charter or cargo airlines uh, occasionally but usually it is personal personal general aviation flying four-seater mm-hmm. um, piston engine airplanes uh, six-seater uh, multi-engine airplanes things like that are usually what what our primary workload is and the eastern region covers so yeah that's a great question the eastern region um covers all the way from maine Mm -hmm. as far west as pennsylvania tennessee all the way down to florida so yeah sometimes there's a a trading of of the map uh so i'm told (laughs) we're always interested you know it's like a game of risk maybe uh, you know, oh, who's going to get Ohio or Mississippi? Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's the region as as I know it. Okay. Um, there's been changes over the years, so so the uh, the senior investigators tell me. But okay. But yeah, it's a it's a big territory. There's an eastern region, uh, a central region, western, and then Alaska. Yep. So. Yep. And 
our listeners may not know, um, the general aviation uh, accident investigations are relatively, well, very small. Um, sometimes uh, two investigators, maybe one even. Right. Yeah. Usually it's just one of us out okay. there. Um, the The thing that we always like to stress, though, even though typically it's only one person responding to to the accident mm -hmm. we have a team of professionals here at headquarters right. that are supporting the investigation maybe even right then you know day or night mm -hmm. if we need um, radar track information or meteorology information from our headquarters uh, mm -hmm. specialist here they're they're feeding us that information so we're you know, right then and there, hopefully getting the most up-to-date information we can. So that's something where if you see, you know, if you see a press conference or something or, you know, see a photo in a, in a paper where it's just one, one NTSB <laughs> investigator out there, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that is usually the case with a, with a smaller general aviation accident. But, but there is a team here that, that's, yeah, sure. that's supporting us um, uh, so, you know, behind the scenes. Is exactly. Kind of the yeah. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's not just on the, you know, on the, like you said, meteorology um, or other technology, but, you know, the media relations team, there's a, a media relations contact that's assigned to every single accident investigation that's going on. And they're the ones that, you know, can work with the media because we get a lot of inquiries of, you know, the local media wanting to know the details and the information about the accident. And so, you know, you are but one person. And while you can interface with the media and stuff, it's also helpful to have our, our team here at headquarters to be ready to support and answer questions or give them just whatever information that we can share. Absolutely. And that's, and that's where, um, you know, having, having that assistance, um, whether it's for, um, for media or, um, you know, our transportation disaster assistance mm -hmm. group with, with families and, and making sure we're providing a, as much information as possible is, is a tremendous help because there's, there's a lot going on in those uh, initial few days. And so um, just trying to keep it all together, having, having support is, is always tremendous. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I want to jump back a little bit because we jumped right into investigating <laughs> yeah. after we asked you how, um, you know, how long you had been on board before you launched your first investigation. But what what is it kind of like when you first get hired on as an aviation investigator here? I think you all do kind of come and are first assigned to headquarters, even if you're going to work in kind of one of the regional offices. But what is that training process before you're kind of released out to be, you know, the investigator on scene? Right. So for for me, I I came to the board and I was hired into the General Aviation Accident Investigation Division. Um, and so with that group is and and that's a traditional um, pathway now that the, and I was among one of the the first group of investigators hired through this this pipeline. And so basically, the the uh, the training. Initially, you're going to have you know traditional you know five you know five days or so um, of of sitting down and speaking with different managers of different divisions, learning this is what my group does, this is what my group does, mm -hmm. and it's it's great to get that exposure. Uh, you know, here's here here's the 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 lay of the land for for NTSB, but then in the, the general aviation group that that I was in, you handle uh, a lot of um, what we call uh, CA investigations or data collection invest accident investigations. So they are accidents, but they traditionally involve cases where um, the circumstances are known from the very initial stages of the investigations. Uh, thankfully, there, there are no fatalities or only minor injuries in cases because the NTSB on the aviation side, we are charged by Congress to investigate every mm -hmm. accident that occurs uh, in the United States. And so um, in that process, you are working with your manager, working with senior investigators with supervision. But, you know, you are in charge of, of these investigations um, that are more um, straightforward in a sense, but sure. you're getting that exposure um, early on. And then for, uh, you know, the unfortunate ones where there are fatalities, where we are going to launch, you um, launch with an investigator and you're there basically contributing in whatever way that investigator needs you sure. uh, learning and, and really that jump seat uh, mm -hmm. so to speak mm -hmm. and it's it's just 
an invaluable experience because you're you know eventually you're working towards the day where you're going to be the investigator in charge and that's the role that i'm in today and so having that background uh, i think i launched on a, a, at least 15 or 16 um, launches for uh, general aviation airplanes before i became an investigator in charge okay, okay. so you're you're getting um, depending upon the path line, you know, we do have some folks who are uh, experienced in the field, um, more more of a senior hire. Their their path to the investigator charge role may be a little bit quicker. But if you're coming in through the entry level role, you're going to get that exposure, learn from senior investigators, so mm-hmm. that when you're put when you're put in the hot seat, you're you know you're going to be ready to go. I know that's yeah, it's amazing. I was I think so. Um when we release this podcast, we'll be in the middle, I think, of an aviation investigation 101 course um, that our aviation investigators and staff put on a couple times a year. I think the next one will be in July. Um, but is that is that something that you all also sit through absolutely. as part of your training as well, right? Yep, absolutely. That's something that um, I know that I, I sat through it. I, I want to say that every, every investigator sits through uh, AS 101, as mm-hmm. we call it. And it's a it's a two week comprehensive uh, course on on really it's it's just a tremendous use of case studies from from my experience of what it was of you know this is example after example after example because that's that's what we do here I mean it's uh, individual uh, accident investigations and the techniques that were used five years ago. 20 years ago uh, or longer, they're, they, they could still absolutely be used today. So, um, you know, there are advancements. You know, the drone program mm-hmm. is a great example of something that's new. But a lot of what we do, uh, I, you know, I've had the privilege of learning from a lot of the senior folks. Or, you know, it, it, it hasn't changed. And there are some good things to that. Uh, you know, this is something that's always worked. And um, this is this is the way you do it. So, so beside um, new error safety investigators, who would be the, um, the right uh, or the target audience to take this training? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think if you are a industry professional mm-hmm. where you will have some sort of interaction with, with uh, incident, incident evaluation um, or you're part of an operator that should have a, an accident response plan, um, maybe you're, you'll, you're, you have uh, aircraft where, you know, unfortunately, you know, if something does happen, you're going to want to have someone in your organization, ideally. Mm-hmm. And of course, it, it doesn't always happen. But if you've been through this course, you're going to understand the NTSB party system, for mm-hmm. example, where you're going to have, um, you, you know, you're going to play a role there in the investigation. And if you've been through this course, you can see how how we work, and you know the you know it's it's not a secret. You know it's it's transparent of 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 how that of how that system works of developing the facts mm-hmm. together. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're someone not involved directly with um, you know operations, if you know if you're more of the reach research side, you, you can still benefit from the course of seeing how how the investigations produce the data, or the findings uh, of what we do. So um, for hobbyists, maybe maybe not so much. Maybe two weeks will uh, be a little, <laughs> little sure. much, you know, read our reports. But mm-hmm. um, you know, someone in the industry would could definitely benefit. And if anybody's interested in more on that course, they can always go to ntsb.gov. And if you go to the bottom of our homepage, there's a little link to tr- the training center, and it will get them more information on AS101 and some of the others that are being offered as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've taken the course, you've been hired at the NTSB, um, not in that order, or maybe in that <laughs> yeah, order. Right. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's the case. Some, some have taken the course right. and then later they get hired. <laughs> but you are now uh, the air safety investigator and you are launched as, let's say, the IIC. What is it that you are going out to do and what are you looking for and how does that kind of happen? Right. Now, that's a great question. So the so you're you're on call mm-hmm. and you you get that phone call from the duty officer which is usually just a colleague we rotate through that schedule and um you basically you know you're given a 
hopefully an airplane type. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't even know that though. Sure. Um, the, the location, the best as it's known. And then from there, you're, you're basically booking travel to get, get to that site as, as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're, we're not first responders mm-hmm. or anything like that. So um, a lot of times we will take an airline or flight if it's something, uh, you know, more than five or six hours outside of the DC metro area. Um, we'll take a take an airline or flight, and that's something that's another big difference between general aviation accidents. We, you know, we'd re- you know probably never, but taking the you know the go team jet, yeah. to, <laughs> you know, that's not something which we that... should say is the FAA's and not ours. Exactly, yeah. it's yeah. not ours either. Yeah. Great, <laughs> great point. So you know, you're you're taking an airline or flight, mm-hmm. um, or or driving, uh, taking your government car to the to the site, and early on you know, every investigator, what I, I, I think has a, a subtle different approach, but we're all there to really do the same job of documenting as much as we can, mm-hmm. gathering what we call the, you know, the perishable evidence, evidence that over time mm-hmm. is going to be much more difficult to collect. And so get, get to the site, preserve the wreckage. Um, and, and then from there, it's really, we're not looking for smoking guns, you know, and that's something I think as you get more experience, you can really just be methodical, calm down and, and just take it as a holistic approach. I'm going to look at everything. I'm not looking for one Mm -hmm. particular thing with this, with this airplane or helicopter and, and just, and just build, build your factual information, Mm -hmm. looking at, um, flight control continuity is something where where the, where the where the flight controls operational tracing even if the airplane's in multiple pieces you can look at cables and their attachments and if there is a break document document it and maybe there's a need to take something back to our lab here and mm-hmm. having our having our specialist look at it um, uh, of course the engine is something that or engines were were, were always going to take a look at looking at every component. Um, usually doing a quote, you know, tear down with, um, assisted with the manufacturers. So, um, not always, but many times we're, we're joined by the manufacturers, um, of what, what the, of what components are involved in the crash. So that's something it's, it's always great to have their technical expertise right there to assist, uh, in, in developing those facts. Sure. And, and then from there. It's you're you're leaving you're leaving the scene with as much information as you can. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's always you know it's kind of cliche, but um, that's that's the goal. It's again not to look for one thing. It's to look at look at as much as you can. Um, while you're doing this, you, you, you know again you're out there typically by yourself, so you you are uh, media relations. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you know, you are family assistance, mm-hmm. um, sometimes if, uh, if you, um, if the family members are on site, um, to give them, uh, a, a comprehensive update of, of sure. who we are and what we do and what we know, um, what, what factual information we know at that time. And so you, you just have a lot to handle, mm-hmm. but it's something that, you know, again, we, we have training and, and, uh, you know, experience in, in doing. And so you, just keep keep all those balls juggling, mm-hmm. and from from there you you typically come home after three to five days or so. Okay. So the launches are um, usually much shorter than you know obviously a major investigation. But they but that's something again. There's no time limit, so mm-hmm. it's it's not something where it's a standard two day or five sure. days. If it takes seven days or ten days, then that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you once you come home after gathering um, really just the basic documentation of again what's what's involved, that's where you start building the record of um, the the airmen involved, the the pilot logbooks, the maintenance history, looking for deeper issues of of where the investigation is going to funnel to, and and then it usually takes us um, twelve to eighteen months or so mm-hmm. to produce a a final report. But that information is going to have, if there was a specialist report mm-hmm. or something the lab looked at, it's going to have all of those reports together 
um, and our uh, something a lot of people miss. Uh, you know, it's always great again in Oshkosh year. I read your reports all the time, but don't forget about our docket as well. Mm-hmm. There's usually always a link um, within our report to our public docket, and and that docket is going to contain all the factual information that we use to develop that final report, our analysis, and then of course the probable cause that the board um, uh, chooses to adopt. So, you know, we're really interested in looking at the complete picture of, of what, what we do. Look at, look at both of those. Look at the docket and look at, um, obviously, the, the final report. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And again, all of that's accessible and public on our, on our webpage, I think, uh, in the middle of our web homepage, actually. I think there's a link right, right, right in the middle that's that's, right. Uh, to the dockets. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for aviation. There, you can see that for all of our investigations and all of the modes. So you've been here for two, three, no, four years. Yeah, I guess it's four years. (laughs) Math. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I could still be a pilot. Yep. It was under five, so I can do it. Okay. Um, What so far um, has amazed you the most about your experience here at NTSB? Ooh, that's a a tough one. I I think it, it may be the entrepreneurial side of of how you can approach your job and there are of course uh, policies and standards Mm -hmm. but we we try not to put boxes on the investigation of hey look look in this box and then that's that's what we do and move move on you really want to make sure you're not you know missing the 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 forest through the trees or whatever you know insert analogy here and that was something that it took me, you know, it, it took a few, at least a few years to really look at this and go, step back and, and say, well, wow, like, what am I, what am I missing here? And you have that flexibility and, and freedom as the investigator in charge to, to really take a, a broad, holistic approach to the investigation and to really look, what are the facts telling you? Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, square pay, uh, you know, ha- you know, a hammer here. We're just right. n- turning out an assembly line. It's, it's something where you use your background, work with your colleagues. We're constantly in the office discussing um, the, 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 the accidents and, and what we've come back from, from the field with. Sure. And so not having... A prescriptive approach, I think, and many times can help us um, with you know coming to the right coming to the right conclusions. So sure. that's been something. Oh, the NTSB, you know, it has this as a pilot. You have this. Um, I think many pilots do. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But you have like a gold seal of of the NTSB, and it's you know it's such a respected organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get behind the scenes, though, you you see that, you know, just individual people make up the, you know, it's, you know, it sounds silly, but right. we're just a bunch of individuals here using our background and using as much information as we can mm-hmm. to to come to the right findings and, and conclusions. Right. And obviously safety is, you know, what we're, that's the, that's the top of the pyramid of, yep. of what you know, it's all to prevent the next accident to put us to put us out of a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be great. Yeah, yeah. So I have a I have a question for you. So um, a lot of times, you know, working here and um, we Leah and I do a lot with the NTSB's most wanted list, and there's unfortunately some issues that have been on there for a long time. I know the JV general aviation um, industry. We had loss of control on there for a while. Are there any? you know, areas or as a, as a, a, an instructor or as a pilot where you kind of have this passion for promoting, you know, something that you see happen wrong or you wish pilots knew before they, right. you know, came, found themselves in a situation that they couldn't get out of? Well, so obviously loss of control is a, is a huge deal, uh, particularly in the accidents that we work. Um, Loss of control is one of the leading, you know, leading causes of of general aviation accidents. I I think more broadly, and this, it's something where, on our current most wanted list, the flight data monitoring, 
is something that the airline community has adopted, you know, at least now, and at this point, it's decades ago, and you've seen the dramatic improvement in, in the safety record. And if we can see flight data monitoring really start to, to filter down into all sectors of the general aviation community, even if you're an individual out there, um, you know, flying, you know, a Cirrus, uh, a four-seater Cirrus or a four-seater Cessna, Flight data monitoring is something that um, you can you can be involved with with you know looking at w- what what equipment on board can can keep you in that safe envelope and if it's a university so if if you have a flight training department are you using data from your airplanes to to monitor what's going on to see issues before. They come to us before their accidents, um, before they're just incidents even. You know, you're looking, you're analyzing the data, you're making changes to your policies, you're um, adapting your training to what the data is showing you for for charter um, organizations, cargo and and passenger. You know, again, how are you using um, data to, to change your your practices. And that's mm-hmm. something that it's, it's easier said than done. I, I understand that. I think, and I think a lot of our uh, safety recommendations in this field, you know, acknowledge that this is not, you know, this is not some easy, easy fix, but there's a clear path to, to implement this. And, um, you know, if we, it's, it's something that needs to be, it needs, I'm hoping that 10 years from now, this is something that you know, we can look back and say this was the start of a new, um, a new beginning. And in general, aviation safety is, you know, it is a, a safe mode, but there's always room for improvement. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting to the uh, end of our podcast, so I want to thank our guest Adam for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up that you want to share with our audience? Um, well, thank you for for having me. Sure. I just want to say thanks everyone for being interested in in the NTSB. And keep reading our reports and to all the pilots out there, um, you know, read our reports and, and, and fly safe and, and, and enjoy, enjoy aviation. We, we, we love it and, uh, and keep loving it. Yeah. Great. Stephanie, any final thoughts for you? I do. You mentioned Oshkosh. Will you be at Oshkosh this year? Um, still to be determined. Okay. Uh, we have baby two on the way going oh, uh, summer. So okay. we'll see, we'll see, um, the timeline, timeline there, but, um, I, I hope to be, mm-hmm. uh, I know the NTSB, we, we will have a presence there. Mm-hmm. There'll be, uh, a lot of presentations, uh, case studies that we'll be giving. So if, it, if it's not me, it's, it'll be one of my smarter colleagues who will, <laughs> who will be given presentations. So look, look for us at Oshkosh. Okay, great. Thank you again to our listeners and thank you, James, our producer for making us sound awesome. And we look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye. Bye.